I had to summarize for you what this sermon is about, I've got two objects here, and these will help you to remember what the sermon is about. So who can tell me what this is? What is this? And what is this? So now this is the whole sermon right here, okay? It's the parable of how we are to be salt and light in the world. These objects are abundant. They're everywhere. They're also essential. We use them for things that are daily. Um, Salt represents something that's small, yet really important everywhere and adds a lot to life. Light represents something that's essential also everywhere. And so in our church culture, we have four W's, worship, walk, work, witness. Today we're going to primarily be talking about our witness to the world. Jesus wants us to be these two things. And there's also built into these things a bit of a a do and a don't. Like he wants us to be salt. So he wants us to be this in the world. But the warning is if the salt loses its saltiness, then it's not going to work right. It's going to be useless. He wants us to be light, but you know the old song, right? Hide it under a bushel. No, and the idea is who lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket or a box for, you know, for, here we go. Who does that? You know, we, we, this is a camp light, and at night when you're camping, you need the camp light, but who turns it on and then goes like that? So we're going to learn today what to do as witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ and what not to do. That's what the whole parable is about. So let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Jesus, we're grateful for your teaching directly from your mouth, and this sermon was given by you as a sermon on the Sermon Sermon on the Mount. There were thousands of people on a hillside hearing your words. What would the eternal Son of God say? What would he teach? What new truths would he bring down? Jesus, you made it so simple salt and light. I pray that you would use this same parable spoken so long ago to open our eyes to see what you have designed us to be in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can open up to Matthew 5. (coughs) Matthew 5. There are parallel uh, verses in Luke 11, 33 and 14, 34. I just put those down so that you know where to cross-reference. But in Matthew 5, Verse 13, we are, we are now with, with the crowd, the masses on the mount, where the Sermon on the Mount was being preached. Imagine yourself there in Israel, and Jesus is teaching all of these people, and he's making things so simple. A parable is a story or a scenario with a spiritual lesson. The lesson is meant to be understood and applied by the faithful, but it will confuse and upset those who don't believe. At the core of today's message is this question, do you want your life to matter? Do you want to make a difference in the world? Do you want your presence here to change things for eternity? We all do. And so it says in verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I love what the Bible says about salt and light. And for the first point, we're going to get our mind wrapped around this. So number one, you can write this down. Be salt and light in this world. Be salt and light in this world. When you look around the world, when you look around Chicago, Illinois, the United States, or the globe, what do you think? What do you think about things that are happening in the world? When it says you are the light of the world, the idea is that the world is a very dark place, and you're different. Is that how you think of the world around you? Be salt and light in the world. The idea is that the world is a bland place that needs a bold flavor. Or the idea is that the world needs an abundance of very small virtues that add up to a sea of testimony, salt, that God is moving. Be salt and light in the world. For this first point, I want you to ask yourself this. Are you salt and light in the world? He's describing people here who are his followers and who are interested in putting into practice, they just heard the Beatitudes, the kingdom principles. Is that you? Are you in agreement that the world is a dark place and that you need Jesus and his teachings and that your life should be molded by his presence? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Are you salt and light in the world? Well, you have to ask yourself if you think the same thing that the Bible is saying. You must believe the world is darkness, corrupt, worthless, and you must be transformed by a relationship with Jesus Christ to become salt and light. Let's talk about darkness first. Jot this down. We must cross over from darkness into light. We must cross over from darkness into light. If you want to become light in the world, the Bible makes it very clear, you start in darkness. This idea of light runs throughout Scripture, beginning to end. I want to camp on this and trace this theme here to go deep. Of course, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. God has been lighting up our dark world since the dawn of time. In Isaiah, in particular, light is a theme that runs throughout the book. In Isaiah 2.5, he says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see how taste and sight are brought together in this verse as well. And we are called to be light and salt. Isaiah 9.2, the people who walked in darkness, speaking of the future, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Isaiah 49.6, he said, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He says this of the Messiah. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So the Old Testament prophesied that a light, a Messiah, would come because a dark world needed it. Of course, speaking of Jesus. Then in Luke 1, 78 to 79, John the Baptist's father, who is a, a priest, says, 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Simeon said when Jesus was presented at the temple, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. It says in Matthew 4, 16, Matthew quoting Isaiah, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. That was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus himself took his disciples up on a mountain in Matthew 17, 2, and it says, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Jesus himself said at the, at the festival, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And yet he says, this is the judgment to Nicodemus. Light has come into the world. People loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. And yet an invitation was given. It says in John 12, 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Hey, have you become a son of light? Have you become a child of God? Have, the Bible describes becoming light as having your blind eyes open to the truth of the, of the glory of Jesus Christ. You have to admit that you are in darkness, no matter what your upbringing, no matter if you went to church or if you didn't, no matter if you were a good person or a terrible person, your starting place is in darkness. Only Jesus can turn you into a light in this world, this very dark, dangerous, and destroyed world. When it comes to light in the darkness, Lauren and I were sitting on the beach a couple years ago, and we were kind of at a a particularly low place emotionally, and we were talking and thinking about the Lord, and then we saw something on the horizon. It was pitch black out. The lights of the hotel were behind us, and we were just looking out over the ocean, and it was super dark, and then suddenly we saw this little light on the horizon, and we said, is that a boat? It was like a, we didn't know what it was, but it was very bright, and then it kept getting bigger, and finally we realized that what it was. It was the moon, but somehow it was so positioned that it was reflecting the sun in an, in an orange light. So check it out. Here's a picture of what we saw. We saw this, this almost like sunrise at night, and then it kept coming up, We couldn't believe it. Here's what it looked like when it rose up above the horizon a little more. That's the moon. And you can see the stars all around it. Now look, this is a picture of what Jesus wants you to become. The world is darkness, and the divine light comes in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, confess your sins, and ask him to be your savior, you become like one of those stars up in the sky, reflecting the divine light down on a dark world. So let me ask you, do you agree with this, that the world is dark, and that you have to cross over from darkness into light? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you have been, in 1 Peter 2, 9, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you heard that call? And have you responded by asking Jesus to be your Savior? Jot this down. Then commit to living a holy life. Cross over from darkness into light and commit to living a holy life. So we talked about light. Now let's talk about salt. When it comes to salt, 
It's very abundant, yet it's also pretty ordinary. So I don't know about you, but you know, when it comes to like how I want to impact this world, the transformation I want to see, the things I want to do, this is a little underwhelming. You know what I mean? Be this? Really? Table salt? Why, why couldn't it say, be uranium? You know, some rare, volatile substance that can destroy things and, and you know, that really make a difference. No, 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 don't be uranium. Uh-uh. Be this. And the fact that it's abundant, the fact that it's ordinary, the fact that it's useful shows a lot of things, the nuances about what it means to be a Christian. You don't have to be flashy. You don't have to be showy. You don't have to be even incredibly gifted to be part of God's preserving witness in the world. Living a holy life, salt, typically represents virtue. It represents a lot of things, preserving something like meat, um, but often it represents the virtue and the consistency of a holy life. So the idea of salt losing its saltiness, well, first of all, it's almost not possible. Like, it doesn't matter how long you keep salt in the cabinet. It's a pretty stable, consistent substance. It doesn't go bad like meat, you know. But they think when they were pulling it out of the Dead Sea or, you know, getting it, some of it could have been contaminated. So Jesus could have been saying that you could go to the market, get some salt, and you try it, and it's just not salty. Well, what are you going to do with it? It's no longer able to fulfill its purpose, so you're just going to throw it out. You're not going to find another, well, what else can we do with it? Nothing. It's worthless. So if salt does become tasteless, it's worthless and useless, and it's not able to fulfill the purpose for which it was designed. That's important because we must commit to a holy life to fulfill the purpose of what God has for us on this world. We must be pure and wise and virtuous and devoted to do all that Jesus said. In other words, you must, like light, you must say, I've been saved, and like salt, and I'm being transformed. I'm, I'm different. I'm, I'm different. I'm adding flavor to this world. You might ask yourself, how does this change anything? It's so small and ordinary. When we went on vacation several years ago to Silver Lake, I think it was, in Michigan, we took a dune tour. And the dunes up there, gigantic, 50, 60 feet high, some of them. Uh, these dunes move, apparently, over time. And so we were told that you had to watch out because some of these dunes were unstable. Check it out. Here's my daughter standing in front of an unstable dune with a warning sign. Danger! Avalanche terrain! Stay away from edge of dune. And there's a rope there because the dune was moving. Now look at that house, that cottage in the background. As the dune moved, that cottage began to get swallowed up. So check out this next picture. We've got the dune swallowing this cottage. And these poor people lost their home. And then the, there was like six or seven houses in, in line to be swallowed by this dune. And they had to remove sand every day, astronomical cost, to try and save their homes. Why? Because sand, sand was swallowing it up. Very small. You can see the impact sand has. And here's another picture. And here's why I want to zero in on this. This is a picture of a tree stump in the dunes. There's a bunch of them. So the guy who was leading the dune tour said this, we've got to watch out for trees because they'll pop our tires. He said, you might be asking yourself, why are there trees in the middle of the dunes? He said, this used to be a forest. He said, this used to be a forest, but the top layer of soil gave way to the wind 
and to the elements, and all the soil and the grass went away. And so everything died. And then he said this. He said, it turns out the grass holds the hills together. I was like, whoa, that's pretty deep. I never thought about it that way. Now, here's what I like about this. These examples of sand and grass show you very small, ordinary, common things. But if you lose all the grass, the sand takes over. I think that's a wonderful picture of what Jesus is trying to say here. The, the salt, the very small, you might think that, well, what can this do? It's very small. No, no, the grass holds the hills together. And I think the salt holds the world together. It's the virtuous presence of Christians throughout society. Some have called Christians the immune system of the world. And it is literally holding back the wrath of God. It's a powerful thought to be the salt. But we have to commit to living a holy life because what good is a witness if we've lost our taste? What, what good is a witness if we are no longer showing the world the purity and the wisdom and the virtue of God? So number one, be salt and light in the world. Cross over from darkness into light. Commit to living a holy life. Hey, that's the basic fundamental truth here. Now it's no good if you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, if you're not devoted to a holy life, the rest of the sermon is going to be useless for you. So I really want you to surrender your life to Christ if you haven't already done so. Now, number two, jot this down. Then, boldly display your faith for all to see. Boldly display your faith for all to see. The first point I was asking you, what are you thinking? Do you agree with what the Bible's saying about the world and your place in it and your need for salvation? Do you think that's true? Now let's talk about how you're doing. Boldly display your faith for all all to see. It says in verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under people's feet. How are you doing at being salt? What does it mean to lose my saltiness? We'll dig down into that in a moment. How are you doing at being a light? How are you doing at shining for those around you? Are you doing well as a witness or are you a little guilty? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Do you feel like <clears throat> this is you right now? Are, are you not shining forth, showing forth, telling forth the truth of Christ? How, how are you doing at displaying your faith for all to see? It really is a show and tell. It's showing people the truth and telling them about Jesus. So when I was a kid, like kindergarten, they had show and tell. How many of you did show and tell when you were kids? You brought something, you showed it to the class, and you told them about it. Well, I wanted to go big. So I had this big ceramic Pluto the dog, you know, Disney, Pluto the dog, bank. And and it was full of money. And I thought, I'm going to show my class my Pluto bank. And my mom said, are you sure that's what you want to bring? It's breakable. I said, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. So I, uh, hey, I had a plan. So I, I pulled a sock out of my drawer and put the Pluto bank in the sock and then went off to school. Yeah, guess what? When it was time for show and tell and, you know, the teacher said, go get your objects, I went and got my object and poor little Ryan looked and his bank was broken. And I thought, I got really like stage fright, like I can't show this to people. So then I had to go back to my backpack and like find something. And so when it was my time, it was like, this is my matchbox car. It's really awesome. Show and tell kind of became a nightmare. I don't know how you feel the show and tell is going, you know? 
Like, are you showing and telling the world about your faith? Or how's it going? Or or are you kind of like little Ryan? Like, it's not going well. Uh, You know, I don't even want to show people what's broken about me. Or for whatever reason, are you struggling with the show and tell? Boldly display your faith for all to see. There's many nuances that could come from from this parable, but I'm going to pull three don'ts out of here. Jot this down. Don't withdraw and hide your faith. Don't withdraw and hide your faith. One way that we can fail to witness, it says plainly right here, is putting it under a basket. So this can represent fear, like I'm I'm too afraid to talk. Um, It can represent guilt. Why would people listen to me? But for whatever reason, if if you're just not going to do it, if you're you're not going to live it around your friends because they're going to make fun of you, or you're not going to talk about it because you know people are going to argue with you. This is what you're doing. You're just, you're covering it up. And this is a, a warning. This is a don't do this. Don't cover it up. The idea of lighting a lamp and then putting it under a basket, who does that? It's like ridiculous. We are all tempted to do that, and it's ridiculous, and it should convict us. Um, when it comes to the idea of salt, It should be so abundant, so everywhere, that people should just take for granted that there are Christians telling and showing their faith. Here's a picture from the Salt Flats of Utah. We went to the Salt Flats of Utah several years ago. Look at all the salt. Like, as far as the eye can see, it's everywhere. And the idea is is we're supposed to show the world and tell them the truth of Christ. There is an abundance of salt. There should be an abundance of Christian testimony. When I was a teacher, you know, before I was a pastor, I was a teacher. I was a teacher, and we did an in-service. Uh, and an and, and in-service is when they get all the teachers from the district. And I was in Plainfield, big district, over 100 teachers there. And there was this motivational speaker up there. And he was talking, you know, he had to be there. And, and finally he said, I'm going to come around the room because you're, you're going to make a difference in the lives of these kids. I want you to tell me the person who has made the biggest difference in your life. And then he started bringing the microphone around the room. And I got really nervous because I'm like, I have to say Jesus. I have to say Jesus. I have to say Jesus. He's the number one. But guess what? I was really afraid. I was like, like I started getting like a bit of a hot flash and sweating. And I'm just like, this room is full of people. And now look, I'm sharing this story because this is me not getting it right. And I was kind of having a conversation with myself like, shut up. You should want to tell everybody about Jesus. But then there was this part of me that's like, no, say somebody else, you know. And, and he kept walking around and I was feeling guilty. Like, why, why wouldn't I feel overwhelmed with joy at the thought of telling these people that Jesus is the number one influence in my life? Well, he didn't pick me. And, and he got done. And I got to tell you, I had to like really look inside and say, come on, soul. David talks to his own soul. Hey, soul, we got to get this figured out. We're not going to be afraid. And maybe you have those moments too where you're like, I don't feel like a bold witness. I'm not. Maybe you feel like you're not doing well at showing or telling other people about your faith. Hey, I've been there. Maybe right now there are people in your life that God is prompting you to reach. There can be a conviction that something in your life is wrong and you feel convicted to, to tell this person about the truth Or there can just be compassion. Someone's really hurting and you know that their life is off track. And so whether it's a conviction, I really need to tell this person that they're going to ruin their life, or compassion, this person really needs me to give them a better way. I'm sure God is tapping you on the shoulder. And hey, don't withdraw. 
lean in. Uh, Don't hide it. Share it. You might want to write down a name or two right now. People who are needing to hear what you know. People who are needing to see what you believe. Don't withdraw and hide your faith. Jot this down. Don't compromise or contradict your faith. Don't compromise or contradict your faith. So this idea of salt losing flavor, it could represent you're contaminated with things that aren't salt, and therefore it loses its saltiness by being mixed in with other foreign things. It's one nuance here. You can lose your taste as a Christian by becoming very worldly. Then you're no longer tasting like Christian. You're actually a lot like the world. And when it comes to these ideas of sight and taste, taste and see that the Lord is good, the Bible often talks about worldliness and sin as being repulsive, like taste, like something God would spit out of his mouth. Like, ugh. And we all know that feeling when something goes into your mouth and you're like, oh dear, ugh. it's bad or it's, it's rotten or it's spoiled and you're like not going to let it in there for long. That's what it tastes like when you compromise or contradict your faith. And it says here a couple things, that if salt loses its saltiness, it says in verse 13, it's no longer good for anything. It's it's useless. You become useless as a witness if you compromise your faith or contradict it. Here's a picture that that I dug up from the internet of things that are useless. Check it out. These are useless inventions. All right, if you were to buy these online and then try them out, you would return them instantly and request a refund. Why? Because they are useless. They're useless. Now, you could, your picture could be up there too. If you compromise or contradict your witness, you're useless when it comes to what you're supposed to be doing. So don't compromise or contradict your faith. Losing taste, maybe if you had COVID, <clears throat> I've had COVID twice. Uh, did, you, did any of you lose your taste and smell? When you had COVID, if you lost your taste and smell, yeah. You know what that's like. You're like, I'm eating pasta, but it's not pasta. It just tastes like rubber. It's just like nothing. I can't taste anything. And then if smell goes, it's, it's bad too. They say that if one or the other goes, it's even worse. If you can't smell, but you can taste, food doesn't taste right. It's really odd. Some people have um, a disorder after COVID where things taste or smell wrong like garbage or, or chemicals or cleaning products, and they're like, my coffee tastes like sewage. So we understand what it means when something smells or tastes different or nothing at all, and here's the thing. The thing is, don't be that in the world. Don't, don't be that. There's some don'ts in this passage. Don't become that by mixing in worldliness with godliness. Jot this down, and don't walk away from the faith. Don't withdraw and hide your faith. Don't compromise or contradict your faith. And I think this also represents walking away from the faith. So the idea of salt losing its saltiness or light going out, it could represent someone who's around the teachings of Christ within the assembly of God. They hear it, they see it, and Hebrews really warns against this a lot. And then they're like, nah, nah, and they walk away. And this is where it's really hard. A lot of people who grew up in the church, they reach a point where they walk away. You know, they, they walk away, and they are no longer salt, and they are no longer light. I think this also is a warning. Jesus is giving a warning. And remember, these parables, they don't just have one meaning. They're, they're very flexible in their meaning. So someone walking away from the faith could picture salt losing its taste, light going out, 
you've extinguished your witness. Don't do that. Don't walk away because, listen, here's the thing. If you've tried it out or endured it long enough and walked away, your life is going to be useless. The impact you make is going to be pointless. You are going to lose the entire means of making an eternal difference in the lives of other people. People are afraid of that. People are afraid of living a very long life and getting the, the right things wrong. And in the end, having nothing to show for their life. Oh, it might be a fun and wild ride and rich experience. In the end, they feel empty and useless. And they don't feel like they've made a difference. This is a warning against that. Don't walk away from the faith. One more picture of this idea of useless, your life being useless. So our dryer went out last week. Lauren said the dryer went out. So I went down there and investigated. I'm, I'm useless when it comes to appliance repair, okay? So I'm looking at it, and I'm like, hmm. What was odd was it was still making noise, but it just wasn't getting hot. So I was like, I, just, I don't know what to do. No, no, I take that back. It was getting hot, and it was making noise, but it, it wasn't drying the clothes properly. So I called somebody I knew, Gary from our church. I said, Gary, could you help me? Which means, Gary, can you do this? <laughs> Gary comes up. Here's a picture of Gary coming over. And we got the dryer taken apart. I had no idea what's inside a dryer. And if you notice on the drum, the belt is broken. And so here's the next picture. So we got the, we got the belt. There's the broken belt. Figured it out. And then here's the next. We got a video of what happened after an hour. It worked again. Woohoo! We got the belt replaced. Yay, Gary. <laughs> All right, now look, I'm useless. Don't be me, okay? Be Gary. That's the whole point. Uh, the idea of being helpful in a broken world, Gary did that. The idea of the belt being broken, look, if you walk away from the faith, you're broke, you're, you're, bro you're useless. You're like a dryer that doesn't work right. Your whole life, you're going to feel like a broken appliance. It's a warning. It's a warning. So number one, be salt and light in the world. Do you, do you think clearly about salvation and your place in the world? Number two, boldly display your faith for all to see. How are you doing and how are you donting? Don't withdraw and hide. Don't compromise and contradict. Don't walk away. And then number three, jot this down. Impact the world for Christ. Impact the world for Christ. This parable lays out an incredible opportunity, and I want you to be excited about it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They see you, and they say, great is God the Father. What an opportunity. This is an image designed to paint a vivid picture of what your life is supposed to feel like. And I, I've kind of sorted, sermons are supposed to do several things, to help us think clearly, to help us respond biblically. Point one was we're thinking clearly. Point two is we're doing the right things. But we're also supposed to care deeply that our lives matter. This is the emotional part. If you're honest, thinking might be your thing, or doing might be your thing, or feeling might be your thing, but God wants to get all three. And I kind of try and cover all three each week at it. We're talking about feeling right now. How are you feeling about your life? 
Do you really feel like you're making an impact? Do you really want, long, yearn to make a difference? Is that in your heart? This idea of being a light in the darkness for others. I like the idea of a lighthouse. Here's a picture of a lighthouse. It's a light set up for the protection of others. If a ship was coming along the shore and they couldn't see the ground, the ship could be destroyed. If people were on the ship, people could get hurt or could die. The lighthouse warns people that danger is coming. This vivid image should be your life. You are brightly shining, blazing so that other people can see their peril and they can avoid danger. Do you feel like that's what your life is doing? Jot this down. Display devotion in every area of life and you'll make an impact for Christ. So this is the do's. Do display devotion in every area of life. That includes at work. I don't know at work what the rules are. I don't know what the expectations are. Um, you don't have to go nuclear. You don't have to, you know, you just be salt. So you, you figure out what this means at work. I don't know. A little here, a little there. I don't know. Uh, you, you figure out at work what this means. You know, what does that mean? When the time is right, when you have an opportunity. At home consistently bringing faith to the dinner table, consistently talking with your kids or your spouse about things of the Lord. Do you feel like your life is consistent right now? That Sunday's not your only time <clears throat> to turn on the light? If you really want to feel like you're impacting the world for Christ, you have to have a consistent testimony. People who know you at the ball field have to also see what the church people see. And it's disheartening if your life is not consistent because that will diminish your impact for Christ. If your kids kind of know the real you and boy are they watching, and please hear me, you don't have to be perfect, but you just have to be consistent. Then your daily devotion will make a difference in the lives of others. Check your life. How is your witness? And I want you to have confidence that you will be seen you will, salt and light, it's like, it's not meant to be like, it's just meant to be a little here, a little there, and something that's just always on, then you will make a difference. Do we have grandparents in the room? Raise your hand if you're a grandparent. Are you a grandparent? You're thinking a lot about legacy. Let me give you an encouraging story about being a grandparent and, and being salt and light in this world. Mikhail Gorbachev passed away recently. Huge Titanic figure on the world scene, literally shaping the nation's is the last leader of the Soviet Union. He died. Albert Moeller did a fascinating reflection on his life. Here's a picture of Mikhail Gorbachev. And here's what caught Albert Moeller's attention. He said, being raised in an atheistic regime, you as a leader in uh, the communist uh, Russia could not be a Christian, of course. They tried to forbid it. And, um, and in one interview, Gorbachev was asked how he made decisions. And one thing that he mentioned was this. He said, sometimes when I was in the Kremlin, my grandmother would come to see me. And he said, she would say to me, I just went to church. He said, yep. And she said, and I just prayed for all the atheists. And he said, yep. And she said, and I prayed for you too. Now look, if any citizen came up to him and said that, they'd probably disappear. But grandma can say it. Grandma can say it. Now look, there's no record that Gorbachev became a professing Christian. <clears throat> But his grandma was right there, right there, in the Kremlin, 
She was right there. Now look, she wasn't, she wasn't uranium, okay? She wasn't like, I'm going to take over. And listen, don't try and take over your grown children, okay? That will not go well. I'm not saying, what I'm saying, grandparents, is just be this. Just be this. One more element to the story, Gorbachev's wife taught atheism, and she wrote a paper about why communists were failing to turn all the little children into atheists. What could stop such a great country from indoctrinating children? And she said one of the biggest common factors that opposed their agenda, Christian grandparents. Hey, listen, the Kremlin knows this, all right? The Kremlin knows this. So just, just be this, just be this, and let God figure out what, I hope that's encouraging to you. Display devotion in every area of your life. You will impact the world for Christ. Jot this down. Be committed to a church community. Be committed to a church community. So this is not Jesus saying, you're a light and you're a little light and you're a little light and go become your own little beacons. This is plural, okay? We, we together are the light and the salt. So this isn't meant to, you know, you go be you and shine. This is meant to be a community thing. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. Do you feel connected to a Christian family? Do you feel really closely connected? Do you want to know one of the things that will discourage you more than ever and kind of dissuade you from sharing your faith, feeling like you're all alone? I'm the only one in my family. I'm the only one at my job. So if you're not closely connected to a church community, you're going you're gonna to be more inclined to be quiet. The more connected you are, the more emboldened you'll be. When we gather here each week, we gather as a beacon of light and hope for the very nations. It's a beautiful thing. And listen, I know the church has a lot of problems, but the church is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing, and it's becoming a beautiful thing. And wait to see what Jesus does with it in the end. The church, in fact, is the only thing on earth that's going to shine in glory forever. So being a part of a church family is essential to impacting the world for Christ. I love this picture from space. It says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. So check out this picture of, of from space, all the cities. Do you see that? Can you imagine saying, let's go hide Paris? I mean, like, good luck, you know. Uh, you can't cover it over. Part of this image is, Hiding a city on a hill is impossible. So there, there's this inevitability that the world will not be able to hide the light of the church. But it is all these, you know, all, those, all of those lights are made up of tiny little bulbs. They just all come together. That's what we're supposed to be. You don't want to be this isolated little light in the middle of the Sahara. So be committed to church community, and then you will impact the world for Christ because you'll feel connected. And then finally, jot this down, work for Christ in countless ways. Impact the world for Christ through your daily devotion, being committed to church community, and working for Christ in countless ways. Um, do you feel useful right now? Do you feel like God's doing things through you? Do you, do you feel like you're, you're, you're doing works that others will see? There are many ministries. Do you know we have over 230, I think, we counted, places where people are serving at Anchor? Wow! If you're not serving on a ministry team, there's a place for you to serve. Now look, it doesn't have to be on the stage. It just You're just going to be salt. You're just going to show me where you... Yeah. I'll be in the nursery. I'll be in the parking lot. I'll work at the bookstore. It doesn't have to be flashy. 
Um, but get on a ministry team and you'll feel useful, you'll feel effective, you'll feel connected, and your life will be consistent, you'll be a great witness. Sometimes you might have the chance to step up and do something incredible. Do you know that right now is the five-year anniversary of when we sent a team out after Hurricane Harvey to Houston, Texas? Check it out. Here's a picture to commemorate their effort. It was um, the, morning that the, the morning after the hurricane happened, we were all watching devastating videos of people trapped in their homes and boats floating around trying to save them. And I woke up, talked to a guy in our church, and we said, we should, we should send a team today. And so no, none of these guys on the team there on the bottom left knew that this was going to happen. But I sent out a text, and I said, hey, we're sending a team to Houston tonight. Text me if you can go. So they had to go to their wives and say, can I go to Houston for the weekend? And uh, one guy, it was his wife's birthday, and she said, yes, you can go. These guys didn't even know it, but they showed up that night, drove through the night, and then spent the whole weekend helping people out, got in their houses, doing whatever it takes all weekend long, and then they drove back. And it was like really hot. I love that. That's an example of people who said yes to work for Christ in a really big sacrificial way. And in this church, we're going to give you the opportunity to do things like that. I want your life to count. Jesus wants you to be salt and light. Salt and light. How are you doing? Are you really fired up about impacting the world for Christ? It's really a simple message. It's meant to be understandable. This right here, that's what he wants you to be. That's what he wants us to be. Your life can make a difference. It's simple. It's, it's sunshine and salt. It's simple. We don't have to overthink it. Sunshine and salt. And then guess what? Your life can matter. It can count. This is Jesus saying, let's go light it up. Come on. Let's go spread it around. What is your life going to be? Bland or bold? What is your life going to be? Dim or blazing? I don't know about you, but I don't want my entire life to be one big, bland, tasteless meal full of some rotting meats. Nope. I don't want my life to be some pitch black, shadowy, helping nobody find their way to heaven, joining with the world in shameful, empty, sinful behavior. Nope. We are the light in a dark and dangerous world. We are the salt in a bland, rotten, and useless existence. We can be salt. We can be light. One last verse and picture. This is the idea. Here's a picture of the stars. Here's the heart of God. Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like stars in the universe. That is what you were saved for. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to let our light shine. And yet at the same time, we don't. We hide it. Lord, we want to make a difference in the lives around us, and, and yet we don't. We lose our taste. Heaven help us. Jesus, help us to become the witnesses you desire. Give us that courage to be bold when we show and tell others about you. Lord, help us to have the conviction that what we think is true, people need to be saved. They need to come out of darkness into light. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to put feet to our faith, to do works that will show other people just who you are. Help us not to overlook that these are small things that add up. We don't have to do giant things. We don't have to become superstars. Just salt, just light. So Lord, forgive us when we lack boldness. Forgive us when we're timid or inconsistent. 
And I pray that maybe some here are praying that you would save them and make them a light right now. Maybe in their own hearts they want to say, save me, Jesus, and pull me out of darkness. And then, Lord, maybe some are saying, Lord, help me to have that courage to just spread the truth around little by little. To impact my kids, my grandkids, my church, my workplace, and my world. Here I am. Use me, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.